This conference is being recorded. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and as you know, we talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the right to be ruled by God. That's really what that's all about. And that has been the essence of the story of the Bible from the beginning. Are you going to be ruled by Nimrod or by God? Are you going to be ruled by Pharaoh or by God? Are you going to be ruled by Caesar or by God, and that problem still plagues us to this day. And so no matter what topic we talk about, we eventually get around to that, because <laughs> that's the kingdom. But today we have a special guest, and we don't know all of what we'll talk about, uh, but we are going to talk a little bit about land and land ownership and titles to land and, and all these different concepts that are within concepts. And... Uh, We'll begin by introducing our guest, who was mentioned by uh, Clint Richards, who we had uh, a conversation with uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and you can hear that on the net at uh, preparingyou.com uh, under broadcasts. And uh, but right now we're going to make uh, a little recording with Hal Anthony, who was mentioned by. Uh, Clint, and we'll see what he has to say. But to start off with, uh, Hal, why don't you introduce a little bit of your own personal history so that people have a general idea of who you are and why the heck should they listen to anything you got to say? <laughs> well, maybe they don't have anything to listen. Thank you very much for inviting me, and I appreciate it. I want to just give uh, kudos to Clint. He's really come along in a short time. He's really been a researcher of, uh, of, of of note that people really should take a, a, a take and listen to what he's done in his his various videos. Uh, I was uh, found out from him about him through uh, United We Strike. Uh, he was uh, brought on as a guest for me to to talk about, and uh, I had uh, heard of his, his videos on and Incorporation Nation with the Kaffir. I had done video uh, with with Walter Burian to try and explain what the Comprehensive Annual Financial Report was and how there is actually all the money that this nation ever needs it right in its uh, right in its grasp with its with its industries and corporations. And so I met Clint. Clint, I was able to give Clint some information and. And uh, based on that information, he's you know, on some of it. He was able to include that in that lethal injection when she talked about. And what, why I should be listened to, I guess, is because I've been doing uh, some research in all of this, uh, very much along the lines of what Clint found for about twenty some odd years now. And I guess that uh, maybe time doesn't mean anything, but I can only tell people I've been diligent on trying to find the truth. Uh, but whereas uh, we might have found and see now, where has America went? Uh, which happened to me. Uh, you hear it now, periodic, uh, regularly, where uh, people die at the hands of uh, five or ten cops beating on them or shooting them or anything. And that's where I started about 25 years ago at a traffic stop, uh, completely doing nothing at all. It was a fabricated stop. And next thing I'm knowing is I'm uh, a credit card thin distance away from dying at the hands of a bunch of cops that want to shoot me for no reason. So that was before all the stuff really started coming down. And at that point, that day, I decided I wanted to know what happened to the America that I was told existed. And boy, that's really been a, a long, uh, a long um, 
got a study and a long research, and it's continuing till today. At some point, I get to the point where people are all telling me what I'm telling them needs to get out to more people. I was helping people um, to understand what was what they were up against to try and ad address their uh, remedy, their their problems with the courts. And I and I'm and you know about the the corruption in the courts. It's uh, probably 90% of the battle anymore. And uh, so it was suggested to me that uh, instead of trying to help one people one people one at a time, I would. Uh, find a broadcast on the internet since by then you know internet's a wonderful thing you can get off to the uh, everybody in the world can hear you that has access to the internet now and so it's a pretty fascinating thing and that's essentially what ended up happening right after that suggestion was made to me an opportunity came on to go become a, bro a broadcast host on a network and then at some point a few years later uh, I was offered another broadcast uh, a position in another uh, a network called Oracle Broadcasting, where I'm Oracle Broadcasting Network, where I'm at right now. I do a broadcast called Behind the Woodshed. I do that every Sunday um, afternoon at uh, noon o'clock Pacific. For those of you that want to tune in, OracleBroadcasting.com. I'm there live. I've been there live every day. I haven't missed a, a, a bit, and I try to tell people what the uh, what they're looking at in the news, and, and I try to give uh, empower people with remedies that I've found that either work or should work or need to get working in order to try and bring what we thought was America back into the fold and uh, really consistent with what you found in your research. And, and uh, in, in the middle of all that story, we met uh, for a brief time at a retreat, and uh, I've always treasured that meeting truly and uh, really respected your research because you, you bring what I... What I end up doing in legal uh, to try and get, tell people what's upon them, you have brought to the interpretations and the understanding of what the Bible has to offer. And, and I, what I appreciated about, about you early on was that with all the scholarship, you also bring a nice, way, easy way to understand a lot of this. So I, I have to say again uh, uh, publicly that I do have appreciated you, even though we haven't spoken for almost going on 20 years now. Right, <laughs> Yeah, the, I, when uh, someone suggested that I might have known you, uh, I had to immediately run to my daughter and said, "Do we know uh, Hal Anthony?" <laughs> I don't. I don't remember the Anthony part, but I do remember the Hal part. And uh, uh, we spent a weekend at a retreat uh, up in Northern Oregon together, and it just so happened my daughter went and visited. Uh, uh, the people who put on that retreat just this last week, uh, and they're all doing pretty good and have a new grandbaby themselves. And uh, uh, but uh, it's very important these retreats. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna change gears here just for a second. Is that we have a retreat out here now every year, and we're actually now we have an actual place that we have control of uh, where we can have those retreats. And we're developing a retreat ground. I'm doing a lot of work uh, uh, trying to improve the facilities there myself, hammering away. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're building a mobile kitchen and stuff. But in the fall this year, in September, the latter part of September, we're going to have what we're calling a fall festival or burning bush festival. And everybody who can make it. to have to do a very comprehensive study on where the heck it went and uh, have to bore through. It was at the time um, when uh, we have the little thing, we got this idea called 
you know, uh, patriots that uh, have stepped up to try and they also figured out that America went somewhere and what happened. Uh, and so there's a lot of, uh, of false information that I had to start to learn. I learned very quickly. I had to weed through to, to make it work out. And so I developed my own way of, of analyzing things and um, did well enough that I was helping people um, address the, the tangible things in the world, that, uh, the corruption against them, essentially in the courts and getting the remedies. And essentially that when government goes bad, how do you address that and what can you do? And a lot of times it's not a whole lot more than just exposing the corruption. And that seems to be uh, one of the a aspects that you do. Uh, but in the process of learning all this, I was uh, uh, I learned a, quite a bit of, of how to interpret and read the, the law, the legal, if you say. I don't, it's really not law. There's no moral component to statutory code. And that's essentially, in a, in a nutshell, what I call the dis distinction between legal and law. Uh, I know you've made a great, a, a much greater a discussion of that on a writing that you've done, but uh, I tried to reduce a lot of this down, partly because of time in broadcasting, partly because it's uh, if, you're, if no one's interested, it, it won't matter, and if you are, you'll find out for yourself. But law has no uh, law has a moral component to it that's not not involved in the statutes at all, and no different than they disregard gender. There's no gender at all either, and that's partly what the problem, and I won't get diver diverged too quick, too far here, but that's partly what the problem with the marriage statutes are in the domestic partnerships. And you hear Clint Richardson talk about corporation nation. Well, that's what the problem is, is that these are inert, uh, legal is inert, uh, legal entity related type things. So we have no law component. Well, in looking at those distinctions and trying to identify them, I also have to find out, you also have to find out what it is, what made things work and what made things, and, and how'd they fail. And this gets you into analyzing property. And one of the things that how you learn as you go along, it's funny how things are brought to you to learn and they're, they're, they're detrimental, they're the worst thing in your world, in your life that are happening to you. But if you pay attention and you learn the, the lesson well, it, it helps you. It is a lesson brought to you to learn. So a lot of times these negative things that we think are negative are actually there for lessons. And one thing that happened to me a, while, a long while back was uh, an eviction. I was a su subject to um, an eviction process on a property. Uh, and at the time, I didn't know much about it. I'm like in most people in America. I don't know much about much anything, actually, about what the law is and what my remedies are. As it turned out, and I was uh, intense on reading at that time, uh, about property, I uh, found a little bit of book and said, uh, "Without without property, there's no need for the law." And I thought that was the that that, that statement puzzled me for six months. Well, that six months passed while I was researching um, and working through a lot of the things I was telling you about before, where I was uh, trying to find out where America went and ran through this eviction process. Well, found out the way the law works and and, it, and I finally worked out what this property issue was and I wasn't a pro I wasn't supposed to be being evicted uh, because I wasn't a tenant I was actually under contract to the owner of the property uh, to to based it was basically my compensation to live on the property to take care of the estate which was a, a lot of other properties well that little insight has continued to understand about property and to the point the, through the more years of study that I got a, an interesting observation on it, and then somebody, one of my friends, uh, uh, who was a, uh, looking, went to a miners' meeting, uh, said, "Hey, these miners are, are having to get a permit, and, and, and you know about permits, and, and I knew about permits, and he knew about permits, and he says, no, these things are no good for the miner, and it looks like it's wrongly applied. Can you look at it?'" And so, within about 10 minutes, I was able to go through and found out exactly the fact that it wasn't the proper permit; it was un, it was Ill, illegally. Uh, applied to miners, and that started my review uh, of the mining law.
And uh, that is, that law has can turned I out to you be. For a second? Sure. Uh, is that uh, is, is Paul? Are you trying to get our attention? Yeah, I hear another voice once in a while. Is that you, Paul, or are you on mute now? Uh, no, I'm not trying to get your attention. Okay, I don't know. Every once in a while, I hear a little voice in the background. It might be an echo. There's sometimes an echo. It could echo be an one. echo. Maybe it's an echo coming off of your voice. I didn't know if maybe there was a caller trying to get in already, but okay. Uh, no, no, but so, I Sorry to interrupt you, but uh, basically what you're saying is that uh, somebody was requiring a permit of the uh, uh, miners on land that they were had a mining claim, it was actually in the water. It was a water. It was a the NPDES sewage treatment plant permit uh, going through the Clean Water Act. Oh, okay. And so this was not the, the BLM. It was somebody else. No. Yeah. This uh, is the in Oregon. It would have been the ODEQ or any other state that uh, was given primacy for implementing the Clean Water Act. If not, like Idaho, it would be the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. And there's okay. the sewage treatment plant permit called the MPDES, or the, what they have, the permit itself is called like the 700 PM, and not to, not to blast everybody out with these numbers, but it was just a permit that they were saying that the miners have to get. And I researched it out real quick, and literally, it only took 10 minutes to find this out, which is astonishing when you find out this is one of our problems. Where did America go? One of the answers is we let it slip away because we didn't keep vigilant and diligent on on asserting our rights and knowing what they were. But back to the point, uh, the miners were uh, thinking that they, and they had been told to fill this permit out all the time. It was just my friend who looked into that thing uh, on a meeting and said, no, there's something wrong about this. And he didn't really, uh, he didn't fully understand how. He just heard that, he could just tell there was not something, there wasn't something quite right. Well, Getting over and researching that, I had to research the mining law a bit, and I, I have to tell you, I come from a, a long time being in a mining family, not that we do have done mining recently in the last couple decades, but when I was growing up, uh, my grandfather and my father had a, had a mining uh, claim, uh, actually leased a, 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 the right to work a mining claim uh, in California at the time, uh, and uh, it was a mercury mine. It was before they had shut down all of mercury, and that's a whole fraud behind the mercury scare on top of it all. However, so I've had a, a touch in mining for a, all my life almost as far as uh, getting, uh, doing it and being around it and, and, and actually going out when I was growing up, going out into the mountains of the Sierras or down uh, up in Oregon or uh, Arizona and, and doing, uh, you know, prospecting. Uh, but I had never understood the law and never read it up until the, the question of my friend. So getting to the mining law, this there's a Generally, everybody understands it to be the Act of 1872, and they all, they call, everyone calls it the mining law, and the government kind of refers to that one. Uh, and a lot of times, miners up until up the last six years, no miner actually actually read the darn thing, uh, which is partly how they didn't understand what their rights might have been. Again, so here we have in property. As if you don't know about property, as I say on my broadcast, when I do my broadcast, it comes out to be pretty correct. And I try to say everything that's true and nothing that's going to uh, take anybody's time when they go look. Whatever I, try, I say, I try to give people information that they can take what I give them and go uh, make a lot, do a lot well for themselves. They're not, they're not walking off into the brush and getting lost. They get right on the point. But if you don't know about property, you probably are property. And if you don't know about your rights, you probably have none. So 
these basic tenets are what happens to people, the miners in particular. This mining law in 1872 was the culmination of actually a bunch of other laws, uh, one in 1870 in particular, uh, and one in 1866, which is the very first mineral disposal that the nation did, that the Congress did, uh, in its power under the Constitution to dispose of, the, of certain minerals of the mineral estate. Now, the mineral estate is this land that you're standing on. It on your, everywhere you stand on land is the mineral estate. The question is whether or not, uh, with respect to now the mining law as delineated in 1866, whether or not the minerals you're standing on are considered valuable in a deposit or whether they're just common. And so this mining law and the disposal of this land where minerals, valuable mineral deposits exist, uh, is very short, actually, compared to all other laws in understanding what property really is, how it's granted, how it's conveyed, how it's accepted, uh, the purchase of it, what, it con what constitutes a purchase, how you hold it, the conditions that you hold it. And it's uh, very interesting, uh, when looking at that, how you can take that little law that is really meant that miners actually wrote at some level, the Congress actually wrote the grant around the miners' law, which was the mining districts made law, which is right in the law. And the miners uh, did that law to create peace amongst themselves, as you can imagine and heard the tales of the wild woolly west, miners shooting each other, killing each other. Well, that's exactly why miners started mining districts, was because the, the land, they were actually outlaws. There was no mining law at the time. The government of the United States was forbearing uh, any action against them, even though the military was always after the miners for a long time, up until this act uh, in 1866. So the miners were outlaws at the time, and they decided amongst themselves, because they were killing themselves for this valuable thing that people valued called gold, uh, that they would make mining districts to make peace amongst themselves and establish rules and regulations on how people would maintain the land and their claims. Congress adopts this in 1866. And that's the mining law. That establishes, in my mind, a very interesting, simple way to analyze what property is, how, it identi how to identify it, uh, how it's purchased again, and, and the parties. There's a whole a lot of law behind this. Is dumb miners, I call it a euphemism of dumb miners. These dumb miners were pretty sharp, actually. And uh, Congress was sharp enough, I guess, at the time. I don't see it anymore, but they were sharp enough at the time in order to, amongst themselves, and extend that to all the, 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 the mineral estate lands uh, where valuable mineral deposits exist. Upon this simple law, I've been able to point to people how you analyze property, your patents, why, and you know this, I'm not saying, I may be singing to the choir, most of the people listening to this network anyway, uh, but you know about the deeds or not, not the patents, and the patents hold a different type of authority, and, and, the, and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's another authority underneath the patent, too which is even more empowering once you understand it from that regard. So getting to where we were in Clint's discussion, but Clint made a comment and said, uh, you, and I think you had said, and I, this is not in, in chronological order, but just to try and put it in context, you had said that miners are not our federal employees. Uh, and my, Clint had said that miners are free, pe may be the only free people. Uh, and that you said that you would, upon the miners are not, are, are maybe the only free people, you said you probably wouldn't agree, and then clarified possibly that because we're all federal employees. And that started my thought about this. Uh, you're, you then went on in that discussion a little bit later and talked about the only, only free people were, uh, 
were, and I'm going to limit this discussion to the property side of this because there's a whole other analysis under the Constitution that shows that none of us were free people until the the, free, the slaves were freed, then they were the only free people. And in 42 U.S.C. 1981, you can see where they were extended rights and became the unfree free people, uh, given certain civil rights, which were to pay extortions of every time, every kind. And uh, anyone who wants to prove that, all it has to do is go to 42 U.S.C. section 1981 and read it for themselves. It all the civil rights you have are to pay uh, to uh, be subject to pains, punishments, penalties, fiends, fines, and taxes, and exactions of every kind. So that's the civil rights the government gave us. Forget about the constitutional rights. Forget about the uh, the, uh, the unalienable rights, and forget about those natural rights under natural law. So I'm going to limit this discussion to property. Within the context of the establishment of a nation called the United States of America, that was given Congress this this power to dispose of un, unappropriated public land. Your comment was to the fact of a freehold. Uh, the only freeholders were to the propertied class, where the land that was not was not taxable by the government, uh, and, and therefore they again untaxed is uh, is independent. Independent is the freedom. Uh, and upon that point, I would have to agree. Then let's remember that because it becomes important about how you look at what happened in 1866, where Congress disposed of the certain mineral lands, and what that was what was conveyed to the to the entryman who found that deposit. It's very important about this non-taxability and the fact of their freehold. Uh, but I have to add, we'll add one more thing. You have to understand that this 1866 Act was a grant of Congress. And so with that, I think oh, we, I just heard that the, 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 the note. Uh, I want yeah, to gonna, let's stop right here that. and let people think about this thing about the untaxed land and conveyed freehold status that you mentioned. That I'm going to show you that I think, Clint, uh, we are not employees as minors of the United States government. And as far as free people, there's a good analogy. Yeah, we're going into a break. We'll be right back to keep the Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com The Greatest Prophecy DVD from Across the Border Productions Embrace the little known, the greatest prophecy given by the Great High Priest, the once secret plan for mankind at the first sacrificial event. Believe it. Behold the end times in Daniel chapter 2, because the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. It is the key to prophecy future. Comprehend the seven-year great tribulation deception. Be not deceived. Understand the great prophecy delusion, because if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Be forewarned. America in prophecy exposed for all to see you must see it the mark of the beast no it's not a biochip implant a much better and more secure technology is already here and you are already using it 
we will bonus you with a free copy of Richard Bennett's groundbreaking work, The Inquisition, when you send a support donation of $20 to First Amendment Radio. Visit the shopping page at our website or send $20 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274. Send your support donation of $20 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, Avenue, Tulare, California, or $30 U.S. for international priority mail outside the U.S.A. A wise man is forewarned and prepares for the times to come. Will you be ready? The Greatest Prophecy DVD. If you read the history books, the most often asked question to Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South. Was it the Civil War or War of Federal Aggression? John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the Old Past Christian History Conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free? Or was it a war to enslave us all? Get this DVD and judge for yourself. War of Federal Aggression. The truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction. War of Federal Aggression. Get it today. Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. 559-781-3773. Well, welcome back to Keith of the Kingdom. We're talking with... uh... Hal Anthony on the subject of land. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where we're going to go on one thing. I just thought I'd make it clear a uh, uh, couple of things that we've talked about or uh, you brought up during the last half hour is uh, uh, there's no moral uh, foundation to a legal system. And, of course, that, that's true, though, and we clarify in, in the SI on law versus legal that law uh, in the Latin is jus juris, which means what is just, right, and fair. It's connected to the concept of divine law, righteousness, uh, these concepts that you see repeated in the Greek and in the Latins and, and uh, Saxon languages. And But legal comes from the Latin word like legis, which means to bind. It's law by contract. Contract makes the law. And the moral foundation in a legal system is that we have to make our yeses yes and our noes noes. We create these contractual binding relationships that subject us by that contract, which is why the Constitution guarantees your right to contract and is probably one of the most critical uh, clauses in the uh, Constitution. And people happen to forget about, they keep talking about constitutional rights most of which you've contracted away <laughs> because you've entered into all sorts of contracts. But which brings me to, uh, you know, so there is a moral foundation to uh, even a legal system, but if you make contracts with immoral people, that foundation is sand. 
it is it is dangerous. It is outside of the realm of morality to do that. That's what's going to result. Um, which brings me to the other thing that you brought up, uh, the idea of people being employees of the federal government. Anybody who has a Social Security number, from our point of view and from the government's point of view, a Social Security number is a federal employee identification number. And so anybody who has a Social Security number and works for McDonald's, you're a federal employee for at least 10 20% of the day. And everything you earn will go to the federal government. You're working, when you're flipping them burgers, the first 10, 20% of them are being flipped for the federal government. That's why we point out that uh, the state, all the congressmen and, and senators in a state are federal employees. Uh, they're working for the federal government and they have a federal employee identification number, and they're working for somebody with a federal employer identification number. And so that's where we're kind of making that distinction. But with that in mind, I'll let you continue, because it's clear that you have someplace you're going. <laughs> uh, well, it's so addressing what you were saying, uh, Gregory. And, I don't, and again, these discussions on these broadcasts are, are we were talking right before the right before we went on air how comprehensive we have to discuss actually to right. clarify all these things and and i'm and i wanted and that's why i said that i don't and i'm not saying uh, i want to clarify we're talking this my i'm speaking right now because i know it can go so far so fast uh, that i want to confine a lot of this discussion to the land uh, to right. the to the point of the land and and the and the statuses at that point uh, just to add, uh, you're right at the point of the SSM, but that's the government's number. And I'll tell you what, uh, just as far as referencing the uh, minor, the minor doesn't have to put a Social Security number on his location notices in order to have a claim. That's going to point out that this is what I'm saying about the land. In fact, the the, social, the, the mining law under which the minor is uh, uh, must comport his actions to, because it is a grant, and he, if he can't comport to those uh, expressed uh, conditions, he doesn't uh, access the grant. Uh, he would uh, the social security system didn't even exist. So this is some, uh, that's why I want to focus on this because it's really give it gives us an interesting view as to uh, you know the miner is with well, the the miner is not a, a burger flipper with an SSN number uh, at McDonald's. And I guess this is the statuses, and I think this helps us. This is why I found the mining law to be fascinating at one level, uh, lots of levels. But one of the ones was to be able to make that distinction. In other words, also this term citizen of the United States has gone through many iterations of definitional change, and uh, it, this definition of citizen of the United States exists prior to 19, uh, 1868, which is when when the citizen uh, the term citizen changed and the courts had agreed that corporations were persons. So there's an inter there all these little nuances sit there, but that's why I said we don't, I don't want to get too far afield. Again, and you're right about the uh, the, the right to contract is, is, is I think, uh, underestimated and stated in the Constitution. They use, uh, the government, they, the ubiquitous, they use this right to uh, to essentially uh, go ahead and have you waive and consent away all your rights. And and I use the word, uh, to, I, sim I hope it's uh, not being too simplistic to say, they've done this through application which is you're, you're consenting to bring yourself in the application, the applique. The, you, the applique is that you stick it to you 
what you agree is going to be applied for, and usually you'll find a condition to bring yourself underneath a foreign jurisdiction of the state. Uh, you'll see this typically in, a, in, in, let's say, a driver's license application where you agree to, under penalty of perjury, to follow the laws of the state for the motor vehicle code. When you sign that, you've essentially given away your right to use the highways on any other mode. You've explained that you're a, an entity subject to the, that jurisdiction, and if not, still subject to the regulation. And so this is where this ties us back to the permit that's ultimately issued back to the miners, because here we see it. The miners have this different and distinct status underneath a different and distinct application of law that is not legal in the context of the laws of prohibition. I guess this is the point I'm trying to make about this. There's no, when you look at like the Clean Water Act, it's not a law to clean water. It's a law to pollute the water so much. And so this is what I'm saying. There's no, what right does the people, does anybody have to, to pollute to pollute water? But here the government gives license, sanction, gives permit to do so. Now, I'm not saying that you can exist without doing something to the water, but, I mean, this is the context in which uh, uh, the, at least the administrative law of today allows and prescribe, uh, proscribes and prescribes how one will act. So uh, they take license where no one, no one, no people in their individual capacity has the right to go pollute the water. Uh, the government will step in and say it has the right to give permission to have something pollute the water. So with that said, I want to get back to uh, lay this out a little bit about the freeman and the freehold, and I'm going to touch this back over to the miner eventually. And then uh, going through which we were dis in the discussion with Clint, you also said because the Federal Reserve, because of the Federal Reserve, there was no freemen. And, and again, I would have to agree to the extent that you're utilizing the, the although it's law, it's legal what they did, uh, you're using the, the product. They tell you it's a product. So by using that product, you, you, there's also the hypothecated problem that's attached to that that you don't, no, no one understands really what it fully might be. Some of us have a bit different idea and some even have a better idea. But ultimately we know it's not, uh, it's not the money, uh, the specie that was determined in the Constitution to have weight and measure, uh, which becomes two witnesses, uh, which becomes an ability for us to know what's true uh, when we when we uh, deal with it uh, and not getting off lost in the money side but uh, the federal reserve the miner does not have to deal with the federal reserve notes in order to uh, gain property and i have to say this attaches to a patent ultimately because what's issued from the mining law is a patent if the miner chooses to uh, take uh, both titles as legal as you understand as i've heard you uh, mention and uh, state that legal title is separate than beneficial, uh, and here we have it uh, in this in this um, in this manner. The miner can choose whether or not he wants that legal title, but it doesn't affect his beneficial uh, exclusive possession and use and enjoyment at all to not take the legal title. It's his choice, and this is another point. If you look very carefully at what they're doing, this is a very high status here. This is not the status of a slave or an employee. This is a, the status of, if you, and I hate, I'm not even going to use the word because it gets blown out. This is the status of an independent man or woman and an even a minor minor acceptance of a property disposal of Congress. Uh, the 
the Federal Reserve note is not involved, and so based upon the fact that the Federal Reserve causes a servitude, the miner can literally go to a place, look down in the ground, in the water, let's say, because that's usually where you'd find it first, or kick a, kick a stone over and find a nugget, take that nugget without any imposition of Federal Reserve notes, and go down and get, and I know there's a, it's good not get to the, to the discussion that says that uh, I'm now going into a system that use those Federal Reserve. Let's just keep the simple, let's keep it to the simple focus of the land. Hold it. Is land that gold is has its own title, the nugget. Uh, surprisingly, people don't understand that either. That is the land you have in your hand, and it's going and you're using it by your labor and your livelihood, which is what the mining law was made to, uh, to um, provide uh, with settlement of the land, independent of that Federal Reserve and before the Federal Reserve. And you could take that gold nugget and you can get whatever you wanted, whoever would trade for you uh, that uh, that gold. So. You could theoretically uh, any miner doesn't isn't attached to the Federal Reserve system, uh, and and this gets us now into what did the mining what was the mining law, and how can we bring that out and how can we use this thing to see what property is how is it conveyed, uh, what the relative rights are, uh, what things you have to pay attention to. It even gets us into trusts because the way the the Congress established this is it, it creates a trustee in the Bureau of Land Management to facilitate, and I use, I, don't, I use that word loosely again, just general street language, not in the context of today's, uh, today's uh, United Nations issues, uh, but the, the facilitates it, it hastens uh, and guides the ability, the, uh, the possessory titles we call our location notices. Uh, this grant that we call the mining law starts in 1866, and if you look at the terms of the grant, uh, you find out there is this beneficial title in that it states ultimately what you get is uh, you shall have the locator of the valuable mineral deposit shall have exclusive possession and enjoyment including the entire service within the limits of the claim. That's the beneficial use title. That's the beneficial title. The fascinating thing about this mining law is that title, possessory title, was issued prior to the granting of the land itself in 1865. And so we have this possessory title that was that's, uh, that is dealt with by the law of possession. In other words, that law, and I'm going a real fast here. People have to do a lot of research to find this stuff out. So this is just the high-graded tops that we're touching. This divest of the federal government, once it's disposed of the land to the, to the miner, the instrument for mineral, valuable minerals, and we're talking a good faith entryman. In other words, we're not looking at him as a as a as a, a, a criminal. The miner, the entryman, goes in in good faith and and, and finds a discovery. We're not questioning that at this point. Uh, at that point, the land is disposed into the private and exclusive possession of that miner by the mining law. It's a grant of the sovereign, if you will, uh, to a, to the to the entryman. That grant. It conveys authority and jurisdiction in the land to the miner before and while the United States holds legal title. In other words, the evidence of the interest in the property until it's perfected to patent. There's another term that pops up called paramount title. And this is a funny way of saying that's just the source. It's the legal title. It's the source of the title, the beneficial interest, pulls from. So we immediately are into, for all the euphemism that a dumb miner is called, and for all the all that we think about, we might, uh, I've heard about people talking about miners, you know, and, and such, you know, this is some very high level law we're dealing very quickly. 
uh, about this that people may not appreciate that I didn't make up. I went back and had to research and really remember what they've done in the past. And all I'm doing today is re-explaining that to people to hopefully impress upon them the importance of, first of all, the existence of it, the identity of it, and then to be able to start applying it in two levels. One, applying it directly on the land to reclaim that, that which is being trying to be taken, and then go after those that are oppressing the law and the grant and the disposal and the power of the Constitution uh, right now, which is the courts, the environment, eco-terrorists, the environmentalist groups, and the agencies, which we'll find, and you talked a little bit about the Agenda 21, which is just a tool. It's the movement of the UN and international, uh, through international soft law provisions. You'll find out most all your agencies of the federal government are also members of international hordes of, I call them international hordes of trespassers, uh, they're after your water, they're after your land, they're after your highways, they're after your, uh, your, your uh, essentially your wealth. Uh, they're after the wealth of this nation, and I find myself in a very pe peculiar and interesting place to have come to this defining law. It's a very powerful and formidable law, uh, and it, to be able to stand right here, right at the time that the international and federal imposition of sustainable development is to take away your property rights, and your ability to access the property and essentially take away the productive value of the land and essentially and ultimately the wealth that people was supposed to be disposed to people in this country. Right. You know, I'm listening, and uh, because I have quite an extensive background in, in, in law and reading laws and reading statutes in Title 42 and, and, uh, and that, I, I'm tracking with a lot of what you're saying. I'm afraid that a lot of the listeners are not. <laughs> but I, I will say that uh, some of what you're saying is very important. Uh, I'm just going to throw this out, and then I'll let you get back on track. I'm interested in your uh, the term you had. Uh, uh, was it proprietary claim? Uh, it's possessory. It's exclusive possession on that level, but it is a proprietary yeah. claim. And it's just a mere proprietor in his conveyance, which is very interesting when you consider it. Yeah. Uh, the uh, In Title 42, Section 666, it, it talks about every application today uh, in the government has to have a Social Security number. Now, I know they're not enforcing that entirely. Uh, if you want to get a marriage license, you have to have a Social Security number on it. Uh, it even states it on many of the marriage licenses. When you actually take it into the bureaus that handle those things, they say, oh, well, we don't actually require that. But the statute says that it is required, at least the federal statute. And uh, so I see a process going on here, you know, of this uh, where everything is uh, being shifted over. And the reason I'm bringing this up is that just in the last uh, five years, uh, maybe last 10 years now, every single state I have come across has completely revamped their trust laws. And there's somebody orchestrating how they're doing this because it's being done virtually the same way in almost every state with a few minor exceptions. Uh, and and I, could, I could do a whole program on why that takes place. It's actually kind of funny why there are, the, there are these exceptions. Because there's an actual, uh, these plunderers that you're talking about, these uh, 
these unseen guys changing laws and statutes uh, around the world uh, understand what they're doing and are fabricating these changes in America as well as all over Europe and everything. Most people, it goes completely unseen. We've uncovered it. We've seen it. To explain it, we'll just completely bog down about 20 hours of broadcasting and get into an area that we refer to as campfire talk. And I, I would sure love to continue some of this talk in more depth around the campfire because we don't put everything out on <laughs> that's going on because there's actually, you know, I mean, there's a conspiracy afoot. There's a plot afoot to get us to give up uh, the last vestiges of any possible right. And, of course, we'll take this over into the area of, uh, of church and other land holdings, but uh, uh, it appears that you have discovered a, a loophole by a couple of years. Time is, uh, is really a very critical thing. One of the things you said in the first half hour was, if you don't understand property, you are probably property. And I agree with that. Uh, the other thing is, is when you referred to gold as land itself, and I've said this many times, that all gold is is highly processed dirt. That's all it is. And the reality, I'm going to add one more idea on this to help people kind of put all this into perspective, is that you're dirt. We're all dirt. We're all just minerals and water and air. Uh, component, but we're walking around living, breathing dirt. And so when we talk about property rights and we talk about owning the land, you know, our ultimate goal is that the land you own is you. And this is what Moses was doing. He was, he didn't take people out of the Egyptian jurisdiction. He took them out of the persona jurisdiction of Egypt. When they were wandering in the Sinai, they were still within Egyptian jurisdiction. But Egypt had no persona jurisdiction over them. They were free land, walking, breathing, free land. They were promised that they would actually own land under their feet, the beneficial interest of land. And eventually they did, but it wasn't just in Israel. It was anywhere they go, and they lived by this faith. And the reality is where a lot of us are listening to this broadcast are in America. Others are in Australia and Canada. And if you want to get to the point where you will eventually own the beneficial interest of the land under your feet, first you've got to own your feet. And so anyway, I'm just kind of, I'm not taking us off that subject, but I wanted to make a point of those concepts <laughs> in people's thinking as they try to follow how and and what he's saying. But uh, anyway, I, I know I'm interrupting you, but I got a feeling that you're very astute at your topic. Oh, you can still you hear me. it oh. right up. <laughs> yeah, okay. And yeah, you, well, you did go off for a little moment uh, there on my end, but I, I think and I think you picked up just at the right place. Uh, this is an interesting, uh, you're right on point, but I just wanted to identify is that I'm going through the mining law to go and do exactly, to identify exactly what you're saying, is that we are so lost on what really goes on about all this that uh, we, I'm not so sure, and, I, and when I talk to people, and as you said, it's a, it's, it's a shame. It's really a crying shame at some level 
you said that maybe we're already talking beyond behind uh, beyond what the listeners know, and I'm telling you that's exactly our problem. We shouldn't be talking beyond uh, what we know on this because this is what makes us free. This knowledge that we don't have that is beyond people is why we're not. So why this is even a question? What I'm talking about the money law for, essentially, is so that we can start getting a glimpse on how to start looking at exactly what you're saying. Because if we don't understand that we are a property unto ourselves, and we have to have dominion and power exclusive over it, and and to no other, just like the mining law provides to the miner over the land that he discovers as valuable deposit, uh, then we have nothing but a, sir, a slavery, and uh, and it's not going to be something that you're going to have ultimate control over. And that's exactly how you find out that maybe you don't have control. You find out who the who the, the criminal is immediately, is that they're, they're transgressing, uh, trespassing upon something that they don't have a right to do, which is you. And again, if, and if, as you said, if we don't have possession of ourselves, how can we possess another, anything else? And this, again, gets back to the mining law. There's another way to prove, even if I didn't have the 1866 uh, condition prior to the 1868 change in the term, I would have another proof to tell you that the miners, or a miner, actually it's a mineral entryman, uh, is not uh, the same kind of status that would be subject. Uh, uh, oh, before I get to that, you mentioned about the 666, SSN, uh, the SSN number being required. Well, this is uh, something I learned a long time ago, which kind of solved everything for me. Uh, it'll get you right on the track real quick. Uh, you start learning the distinction between the two jurisdictions, yours and the government's. If that government, which is foreign to you, requires an SSN number on an application before it will give services and you don't have one, I guess you just don't get the service, right? Uh, possibly. Maybe you don't yeah. want well, the service. Can, well, that might be. But I'm saying is that so if you don't have one, then you're not going to get it. So that's the, my thought was that's simple. If you don't have one, then that's it. You show your distinction. I'm going to suggest to you there's no court case I've had so far, and I've got well, a couple of them going right now, uh, where, uh, as a minor, I've had to put down a Social Security number or a bank account uh, in order to get access to the court at one level. Although I do have one of the one of my arguments is that they did deny me access. It wasn't because of that. In fact, I told them that I did not have those things. Uh, in my uh, petitions, I tell them I do not have any of these things. And so I'm making the discover this, 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 the notice to them up front that uh, you're not dealing with somebody who you can treat underneath other laws. And this becomes very important with respect to maintaining that status that I was now I'll move to now to show you that even if the the, the, um, the, the, the discussion of citizens of the United States came after 1866 that the miner, the entryman to a valuable mineral state, is not considered an employee, a slave, or a servant. Okay, we'll be back to keep your opinion after this break, and we'll find out what about this status. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. 
You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. If you'd like to get a copy of this program, you may subscribe at LibertyRadioLive.com for only $45 a month. And you'll receive an MP3 CD weekly of all the First Amendment Rights Media Group programs. As a bonus, we'll send you a password for our audio archives online. That's a $15 value. Or you can request any month of any program on one MP3 CD for a minimum donation of only $20. For any single program on tape, MP3 CD or CD for only $15. You can do all this online at LibertyRadioLive.com. Just follow the instructions to make a donation or subscribe. Don't do Internet? Then call 559-781-3773, 559-781-3773, and we'll be honored to help you. Thank you from all of us here at the First Amendment Rights Media Group. I pledge allegiance to the King of Kings and to his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One holy nation under the heavenly Father with grace, mercy, and justice for all. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking with Hal Anthony on concepts of property in relationship to mining, uh, in relationship to individuals, and in relationship to uh, what is just, right, and fair, which has to do with righteousness. So we're all on the subject of the kingdom. one article I would encourage everybody to read who hasn't understood everything that's been going on is, of course, uh, the article Law versus Legal. Uh, and, but the whole book, Covenants of the Gods, if people were to read that, and I haven't heard, known anybody who didn't read it and learn something every time they reread it, <laughs> because there's a huge amount of connections of ideas, of law, of what is right and what is just and what is fair and legal systems and how we bind ourselves away from our rights uh, to application, which is the same thing as prayer. Uh, But anyway, uh, I hope everybody's tracking along. I don't know if there's call-ins. I doubt the chat room's even talking much at this stage. (laughs) But... uh, uh, We'll see if we can't track a little bit more uh, as to where you were going with this, Hal. You were talking about entering into court and letting them know up front that you didn't have certain things that everybody else thinks is automatic. And so I'll let you take it over from there. Right, and this is a whole other discuss- a whole lesson, as you said. This, you read more and you see more. I'm, you know, this is not something I've learned and I stop reading and seeing. I'm seeing stuff all the time, and the more you see, the more you see. It's fascinating, actually, and, and, and things pull together when you get it and start to work with it. You actually put it into work, not just think of some words on a page, uh, but actually put that, as I say, read the black and white. And, and I think you got this from Clint saying the same thing. I've been saying this for years and years. You got to put the black and white in your eyes, and then you really got to work with it. 
working with it over time has explained to me uh, it really kind of exposed patriot patriot myths a lot of times you know talking about you can't go into court don't go by the bar all this other stuff and it just that's just uh, at some level it's just hocus pocus nonsense you can go into uh, you can go into a place and, and you cannot be subject to the jurisdiction uh, you can create it, but you have to do what it takes and i would appreciate what you said uh, in the, in Clint's uh, broadcast, uh, an interview, you said you have to go in and tell them. And, th and so this is the point: you do have to go, go in, and you have to know your rights, and you have to assert them. You don't you don't assert, you can't be passive when you, when they come after you. Anybody comes after you or attempts to uh, challenge you, even if they're not after you, they're after what you own. You have to you have to address that. And I've worked in, uh, uh, to understand that you have to. I anticipate a, the, and, and defeat the presumptions that are against you. So this is another, a whole other study, learning what presumptions up, up, you're up against and declaring against those to at least refute them. And that requires what they, have, what they call in the legal system as a burden shift. And this is the part of the game is you want to make sure that the burden is on the other guy, not on you. And uh, that's what, what they start to do. So you walk into these forums, these judicial called judicial forums, adversarial so you're not at peace to begin with and they try to get you into there and they try to take a jurisdiction and there's things you have to say and can say that eliminate some of these uh, these attachments now i can't say i know all of them i can just tell you that i i do as many as i possibly can and i've been into enough places where when you say you don't have a social security number uh, it either stops the presses or it does not matter and in this one, it does not matter. And if it did matter, then they would show, that they would expose that there is a distinction in statuses. And they can't let that happen, number one. But number two is that it would be a violation for the grantor to not let you have access as a grantee to a remedy for the grantor's breach. And this is where people have missed it. I don't think that anybody has understood the mining law in this regard. And I think this, if I'm bringing anything to the table for people to see beyond the memory of the mining law and what it really did, it's the fact to, rem to point out that this is not just a grant of some land somewhere that miners go to jail and dirt and have fun and find gold and become rich. Most of them don't. In particular in today's world with the administrative over, oversight and the judicial complicity with that corruption and fraud uh, and, and theft uh, takings. And this is exactly where we end up going. Uh, this becomes a grant. Uh, you have to look at the relationship now. And uh, we talked about uh, how we, uh, I was talking about how you can prove that these, uh, this status of a minor, an instrument, a grantee, is not the same citizen of the United States that's talked of after 1868. And the reason why we know that is because the grantor here, in this case Congress, wrote a law that was a grant of certain property in the land, in the soil, uh, that uh, the acceptance of which conveys authority and jurisdiction over the land described and segregated by the entryman and grants that authority and jurisdiction from the grantor to the entryman. If you did not have a capacity to receive the authority and jurisdiction conveyed from the United States government to you, uh, you could not entertain that grant. If you could yeah, not get to become a grantee. That's a, that's a critical point and, uh, that I've made uh, people talk about owning land. There's, you have to have uh, several elements in order to actually own the land itself. And one of those is capacity. 
And if if you are property, uh, you don't own the property. Whoever owns you owns the property. And so that's that's a critical thing, and I, I just wanted to throw that out. I think that's kind of what you're saying, is that you have to have this capacity to be that entry man. But anyway, with that comment by me, I'll let you take off again. <laughs> right. Well, what I'm saying though is that to to actually be able to convey that, it had to be re it had to be received by somebody. That happens to be the the grantee. So just to just to show you, it's not just the terms. Terms. This is a status and relationship that the 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 uh, the minor. And I say minor, but I'm going to have to get people to expand this because this is wherever there's a patent underlying a property, this attaches because uh, the patent evidence is that also the legal interest was conveyed in a mining uh, location. You don't have to have the legal interest for the beneficial use to give you this authority and jurisdiction. So we have a capacity that's imputed to the grantee. If he did, so he, he's not a slave, he's not a servant. He has to have all the power and ability and authority that the United States government has over the land as the sole proprietor of it in trust has to dispose of it to you. And so we have this authority and jurisdiction. This is, when I saw this and I read this court cases on this, uh, in fact, I start to do that right now. I get a little bit of chills because I see the power. You can start to see the power here. And the power, the word power is very important. You start to see that there's a dynamic that's been lost to us. Uh, you start to understand how the power works through the evidences that we have. And now we, let's move in a little bit. We have received as a mineral, valuable mineral deposit entryman authority and jurisdiction over the segregated or described land. You just describe that by putting your monuments out. You find out where this deposit is. You go down on the ground. Uh, you put your monuments. You say, these are my corners. If you don't have four corners, you may have five. Uh, Non-conforming claim on placer, it doesn't matter. Uh, for, for load, it's pretty described to a certain size. You lay that out. That literally carves out that portion of the public land out into a private possession of public domain. And these terms become very critical. And so for for those of, uh, taking notes, and if you're not having anybody chatting, that's that's probably par for the course. I do a broadcast once a week, and I don't get that many chatters. I th I've been told that they've got the crayons out feverishly taking notes, which I'm encouraged by. Um, the, the, uh, you need to go to, for those of you that want to go read more information, uh, go to jeffersonminingdistrict.com. Jeffersonminingdistrict.com, all, all one word. Uh, there is a ton of law there that were been put together, started from the Southwest Oregon, Southwestern uh -huh. Oregon Mining Association, uh, and, and, and we made a new, newly made mining district which has all this law I'm talking about. And if you have a, don't have a thought about it, you don't have to go search anymore. It's all there. Okay. Uh, yeah, we, I don't know. Are we losing you a little bit? We're getting a little bit of feedback. I assume that's Skype. Uh, There's some distortion in the line, but for the most part, I think his point's coming across. We can okay. reconnect with Hal at the break if you want. I was so I got a note too that my the somehow the my signal dropped way off from what it was before and I don't know if that was when you connected the skull board or not just to let you know but anyway we can continue. Go ahead. Uh, so the okay so the, 
So th- th- this is the understanding, getting the boots on the ground, get the law to the soil right where it belongs, and we start looking at what's really going on, putting, uh, I guess, flesh on the words, if you will, putting action in what's going on, uh, not just thinking they're just, just, just print on paper. We start to develop a whole other view as to the power underlying uh, this, uh, the land and the documents. And this is inter- very important about the United States of America. Uh, uh, Hernando de Soto wrote a book called The Mystery of Capital. He was out of Peru, and he was uh, trained in Vienna, I believe. Uh, 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 it was a globalist uh, econo- economist. And he uh, analyzed why the rest of the world uh, failed where the United States uh, prospered. And his essential uh, finding was that because of the system of records and the laws that protected that, that, that record of the ownership of land was why uh, the main difference between why we, uh, we made a diff- distinction in the world that was unlike anything else. When I read that book and after I'd been reading uh, the situation uh, where America went for a while, uh, after a while, I realized that that book was the uh, globalist's plan of what they were going to be doing in the future in that when he identified that as being the strength of America, I realized they were going to somehow attack the the very thing that he had mentioned was was the strength, which is our system of records and the law. And you know, I, I'm having a hard time to believe it hadn't happened in the foreclosure mess. Uh, they have uh, really uh, undermined the titles of property, the designations of property, uh, and convoluted the fact of deeds over uh, without explaining patents, and destroyed the law and continue to try to do it. And so, and you see what has happened to this nation almost overnight. Uh, the value, the wealth, the property, the stability is just is collapsing, uh, just as planned, if you will. But getting back to the value of these documents, notwithstanding the corruptions of the law and corruptions of the documents, it's not a corruption at the level of the patent. And this is back to the grantor-grantee. The patent, most people don't get far afield on some of this, and, and I don't. And the United States does not use the term allodium or allodium. That was a thing of the past. Uh, what they recognize now is evidence in the court. In other words, your law supports the contracts that you say are the grants that have been gone on, and there's an implied and expressed grant contract within every grant that these patents that we talk about that can be accessed by the miner if he so chooses, not not needed because his land is treated as if it has patents. To show you that legal title is irrelevant, uh, as you mentioned in the beneficial cases where where it is that these patents, people have to understand that every land in this United States of America has a patent already underlying it, conveying it. The land that doesn't is called the public land that's unappropriated. The patent is merely, it's, this is immense though, I say merely, but it's the singular purpose for the patent is to evidence the fact of a property land conveyance. From grantor to grantee, from patent to patentee, the deeds don't do that. And this is the distinction right off the bat. You can't tax a patent. You can tax a real property under deed. And you'll see laws in the states that say that. Real property is property held less than fee simple absolute. That's all you that's held under deed. A patent is fee simple absolute. And so here we have, if we go back to the grantor, the patent is the ultimate evidence of exclusive possession as stated expressly in the patent terms. 
And for the most of that time, uh, for the, let's talk about a whole estate. The surface estate and the dominant subsurface estate are included, including all the water, including everything on it that was there when it was conveyed, uh, and nothing reserved, if there's nothing reserved, uh, forever to the heirs and assigns. This is not what happens under deeds, and so we have a distinction. But the power can be seen through the mining law to the miner, even in half the title, the beneficial side, because he is conveyed, the grantor called the Congress, has conveyed to the grantee, the acceptor of that promise, to convey that property by his work purchase, the land so described by his location notice, and he has complete exclusive use and enjoyment to the exclusion of even the United States government itself. Why? Because when they conveyed the money and the beneficial use of the exclusive possession and use and enjoyment, they conveyed the authority and jurisdiction to, to the miner, to the property possessor. And what that then extends onto, you have to then ask the question, if all, 100% of the, which it has, it's not a question, where 100% of, of the jurisdiction is passed, then the authority is passed to the grantee, what jurisdiction remains in the United States, its agencies or its courts? Uh, is that an actual question? <laughs> yeah, yes, it is a question. Well, that would, that would be not very much. Uh, uh, in, in that particular piece with corner markers, as long as they maintained their activity within those corner markers. And that's exactly the condition. And this is where uh, the only thing that when a miner does not go to legal title, he has to maintain the grant. In other words, he has to maintain. It's not a fault either if you if a, a corner marker falls down. You have once noticed, you have the time to go and replace it. So it's not that derel uh, it's not that deleterious right, right. Of a condition. But you're right. The only condition is that you condition you continue the condition of the expressed grant. That's the only thing on you. But other than that, I want to get to the next point here. If where a hundred percent of the authority and jurisdiction is conveyed to the land described and within that land, uh, and there's always there is no jurisdiction. What jurisdiction remains for a court, a district court of territorial jurisdiction, to make a decision on those on those lands? Uh. Of a court with a territorial jurisdiction? Yeah, all your district courts, your, your United States district courts are territorial courts. Right. Okay. If the United States Congress is, has divested itself and conveyed absolute authority and jurisdiction to the claimant, what jurisdiction resides in the government to uh, for its courts, over which its courts can make determinations? Uh, not much, if anything. Uh, I don't think it would be anything, but the point, and here's the point of the patent. This is the power of the patent that people haven't figured out that they uh, that they haven't addressed and they they um, they need to. Uh, this is one of the things I take, I'm telling you uh, is maybe the thing I'm bringing is that this is the relationship that happens. There's a little court case called Fletcher versus Peck happened in 1810. Fascinating case actually. I said I think it's a Georgia uh, out of a Georgia question where fraud in the legislature was alleged and the conveyance of title three parties all this stuff. Fascinating read. Uh, but you look very carefully and the ultimate point of that is that it ultimately states in that in that documentation in that court case about the limitations uh, upon uh, the a grantor. And it says a grant in its own nature amounts to an extinguishment of the right of the grantor and implies a contract not to reassert that right. And so in the grant, uh, the mineral estate to the locator, uh, they have divested their right to attack the grantee, who is the beneficiary. 
so that grantor and trustee cannot attack the beneficiary or grant or grantee. So th- this is a powerful condition, and these patents or a miner's location notice operating as a patent and with his choice to go to patent for legal title operates to prove that if the United States comes against you, they're doing so as a breach of that contract not to reassert a claim. And this has immense implications on what we see the agencies doing against people's property. What people don't understand is they're doing this against the deeded interest, not against the patent. And very few people know even, I don't even think anybody besides myself uh, and a couple people that I've told over some years uh, understand this power to sit here. And to to further uh, um, explain, taking this knowledge and applying it to, uh, and I don't know if you've heard about the Army Corps of Engineers coming onto someone's land or the EPA coming on and declaring that their land was a wetland. We just had a miner that had that happen from the Army Corps of Engineers. The Army Corps of Engineers came in and said, your mining claim, it was in a stream, uh, it was partly in a stream, a creek, uh, was, is we're going to declare your mining claim a wetland. We turned around and answered to that because you've got to answer. You, got, you can't let it sit there. Your rights aren't going to protect you unless you assert them yourself. We turned right around and we asserted a fraud. We asserted a takings, and we said that your wildland, the wild, uh, your wetland designation did not come by a due process proceeding whereby you paid me compensation to convert the congressional grant of my claim as a mineral use to a wetlands use. Now what I've done is I've got the grantor's agent violating the grant. You can't do that. And then right. for minerals, minerals are national security and defense important at uh, 43 U.S.C. 1801 to 1803, for those of, the, those of you that want to research. Uh, so a secret is this section that they can't tell you what the national security provision is in it. Uh, but we get to say from that provision, 1801 to 1803, that mining has national security and national defense importance. And the Army Corps of Engineers military officer that was making this designation was now in breach of that. We asked him to show cause how he hadn't violated his oath to support and defend the United States. Now... That was probably another step extreme than what I normally do, but this is a dangerous fight we're in, so I kind of don't hold punches back when I can and when I need to. I, I try to go as peaceful as possible, but when, when they don't give us an opportunity, we have to come out with both barrels. And I can only tell you, for every other case I've ever seen where property rights people, or property landowners, or mere landowners, with deeded interests, have lost their cases and become subject to the agency, we have not heard from the Army Corps of Engineers again. And that miner's land is still sitting there as a granted property for the main purpose of, and the only purpose it was disposed, for mineral uh, development. This is kind of interesting. I have one of the books that I'm writing in the background and may never, ever get to at the rate that I'm going, (laughs) is one uh, called Pilgrims and Strangers that shows that the uh, early pilgrims actually had a plot to circumvent they didn't want to get a land patent. They wanted to actually prove up land without a land patent, and they had a, devised a, a very clever scheme where they could uh, eventually obtain some of this wild land in America without a land patent. It ended up falling through, and they almost all died because of their dishonest approach to this. But eventually they did get a land patent. And uh, 
they they fulfilled the terms of the land patent and uh, and actually owned land. And early Americans, when they the the small percentage of landed uh, property owners who actually were free men with elodiums according to English law, who were the major movers in the American Revolution, who were not really revolting. They said the king was revolting uh, because the king was usurping authority over the land that he did not have because he was in violation of the charters and, in essence, the original patent of the land because he was coming in just as you were talking just into that miner, coming in and trying to usurp a use upon the land that they had already waived a right to. And, uh, and so that was basically the American Revolution legal argument of you don't have no jurisdiction to impose these rules. And even it was argued even by Englishmen in the Parliament that the king had the power to impose these rules that he was imposing in America anywhere in the kingdom except in America on Americans who were, it didn't go on to say this, but basically he was talking about the landed class, the ones that had gone to the trouble of obtaining this waiver from the kingdom that he uh, from the king that he would not come in and see the use of this property they actually owned land they actually had uh, they were freemen they could not be taxed in some of the ways that the king was trying to do he was so used to taxing his subjects he could not do it in America and this is what American Revolution so-called revolution was really all about and most Americans have no knowledge of that because in uh, 1890, 1898, uh, 1916, 1918, 1930, uh, Bits and pieces are starting to fall into place because they've learned so much over the years on their own and, and what we publish. So I don't think it's falling on deaf ears. I think a lot of people are, are picking up those pieces of the puzzle. And uh, uh, I would love to have some campfire talks with you. <laughs> well, we could do some off-the-record strategizing, <laughs> and maybe we will in the, in the future. But... We've only got about uh, five minutes of this at uh, this half hour, and we've got one more half hour after that. So uh, the best you can, you'll have to pace yourself if you've got further things you want to take this to. Are we coming up on a culmination point uh, beyond well, what you've well, you, know you know, You know better than that. There's no culmination <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I talk. I talk two hours. I talk two hours on my broadcast every Sunday, and I don't. I I run out of time just trying to get to the news each week. I've got. I don't know how many tabs I wake. I, I actually filled in for another a host. He has a four-hour show weekdays, uh, and I didn't even hardly touch a little bit of what I can talk about. That's just the news. 
getting onto this stuff, this mining law, it, it all depends on where we want to go. We could literally talk for weeks and weeks on it. And uh, I understand a little bit about being over, uh, maybe talking beyond what people's comprehension. But I have to ask people if you think I'm talking behind your, uh, beyond your comprehension, you have to then find out how far removed we are from our own country and the, how far we removed we are from what we need to know. I'm just talking about the basics of what people like miners in the 1860s knew to do that was accepted by Congress. And if we don't know that much, we're really in some sad straight. So uh, I was, I've also been told if you listen to what I'm saying probably five to seven times, uh, you'll start to and do the research, the, go to the points of places I'm saying, go to the topic and subject matters I'm saying and do some research. And on the Internet, there's really no excuse anymore that you'll start to see uh, what I'm talking about uh, in, the, in the way it's done, not the way uh, you'll see it from your perspective. You'll see that's exactly what I'm saying is there for you to find, and you'll do the research and find that it's what I'm saying it is, because I have no purpose to, to be telling any fables, wasting everyone's time here. I can do other things. Uh, you know, this is a problem. I see a nation going down the tubes. I don't know if, whether or not it's stoppable. I know that I'm one, uh, you're one, everyone is one. All we got to do is step up with the one that we are, and we can uh, we can bring all this thing, I think, back. And I think having a, the fortification of the knowledge of the soil, uh, the place where we reside, the settlement. They didn't call it settlement for 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 any other reason. They didn't say that they didn't reason that it was to bring peace to the miner so he could make his investment uh, for any other reason. This is because settling the land brings peace, and the law is what's supposed to protect it, uh, uh, adverse to what you see the government doing now. But that's uh, on us too, and so these discussions can go on and on. But uh, maybe moving back uh, quickly here before we do get to the the thing, I want to touch back. One little interesting point, we got to the patent, the power of it. Now, if you know that you have a patent and you go find out the one that is on your land that you have and you have someone come against you, uh, you can defend yourself pretty well if, if their name isn't inside that patent or there isn't a reservation to them, and that includes the counties. You're going to have a more formidable discussion, and I would have to say that my section, talking about strategies, boy, that's a big one. You're right. I don't talk about much about the cases I'm helping on uh, because the strategy is all important. But one thing you need to know is that if the, if the grantor has an obligation to protect his title, in other words, Congress has to protect the the conveyance that they granted you, otherwise it comes in breach too. And so that becomes a takings if they don't come in to protect you. And so you can name the United States as a party, and that's a whole different court. That goes to the claims court. Now, that's an Article One court, but it doesn't matter. That's administrating, their, that's again within the context of the government, administrating upon their positions. But uh, once you start understanding these things are here to do, we get our remedies back, and we just have to go out and assert them again. Right, and we're going to come up on one more break, and then we'll have one half hour, and we'll talk more about property, the one property under your feet and the property your soul lives in, which is yourself, uh, when we return to Jesus the Kingdom. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com. 
The program you are listening to is 100% sponsored by you, the listener, on this First Amendment Rights Media channel. You will notice that there are few commercials on this radio network. There's a good reason for that. Corporate advertising dollars come with strings that limit program content. So without your help, these programs cannot continue on Internet or our several affiliates. If you benefit by the educational law programs, we ask you to give. If you are admonished or nurtured by the Bible and ministry programs, we ask you to give. If some voice a cause that you are passionate about, we ask you to give. If you believe in any of these, we ask you to support them as you would a missionary on a continual basis, as if giving a tithe for Missionary Radio. These programs are not commercially viable and must be supported by those faithful to the cause of truth. Look for the button to sponsor your favorite programs at our Listen and Schedule pages on the Internet. Then, when you subscribe, we will send you the last quarterly MP3 CD of that program immediately and continue to do so with each new quarter. We will also give you unlimited archive access to all of our programs. We're asking you to give much less than a tithe so that you may also send support directly to a particular program host, cause, and anywhere else the Spirit may lead you. Do all to the glory of our God and Creator, for His holy nation, the only kingdom that will last forever. Thank you for listening. government takeover of the church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD. Government takeover of the church. Who will tell them if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 
is taken by force and violence. And the kingdom of God preached by Christ was a way in which for men to govern themselves at peace with one another without force and violence to what we call faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. But right now, man finds himself back in bondage in a big way, in a worldwide way, with no frontiers to escape to. And it's kind of coming down to the last stand, Armageddon, whatever you want to call it, where men are going to have to decide who is on the side of the Lord. And so we've been talking about property, property under our feet, and what Hal has been doing a lot of research on in relationship to property is in relationship to mining laws, uh, which uh, will not go unattacked eventually either. But my mind has been wheeling with certain ideas and certain pieces of the puzzle which I had not yet uh, dealt with or now coming together because of many of the things that he said, which is why I said we, we need to have a campfire talk on some of these issues. Uh, but ultimately, the property that we want to have free and clear is the living, breathing property of men. But the lessons that Hal has been learning in his uh, dealing with the, the rights of minors will tell us also how uh, in principle, in precept, because it's always precept upon precepts, how to deal with this other element of property, which is our right to own our land in fee simple, uh, being ourselves in fee simple, our own persona, free. And uh, that's what Christ came to do, to set men free and being his church. That's our mission. And so there's a lot of things that we're learning today, and we've got about 25 minutes to learn a little bit more. And uh, I don't know if there's people who want to call in. I don't know if there's been questions in the chat room. But yeah, I'm going to turn back over to Hal. What was that? There is a question in the chat room that's pertinent Okay. what we're discussing. Okay. It says, does Hal mean the unnumbered can use the knowledge of the Jefferson Mining District and work unencumbered, bring it back to the kingdom. Well, what do you I'm mean by, sure. the, by the unnumbered? Uh, those without SSNs. We have, we have a certain number of people that are in our network that have never, ever had SSNs. And yeah, well, uh, we actually you have generations who've never had SSNs. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> they've never been late. signed up. Just to lay this out, the patent is already issued. There's no SSN involved. Um, the minor isn't, doesn't involve an SSN. And now, they might be asked for one, and they could give it. If they give it, then I guess they brought themselves into a new status. But there's no com you aren't compelled. Because they ask for it and they require it doesn't mean that you're compelled. Uh, and this is where, I guess, I, I was trying to think how to pull this together. Uh, I'm trying to show you that, that this is a way to identify property. Well, this is also a way, as I talked about, the most powerful thing, the thing that gets me near chills and when I think about it, was this concept of conveyance of authority and jurisdiction. This starts to give us the ability to identify a separateness and independence that is self-containing that we've lost. And we talk about within our body, separate authority, a separate jurisdiction, and we must keep it separate. 
And so this this glimpse of the mining law on land does give us the reflection of what we were supposed to be doing all the time with us. And uh, again, unless you you aren't compelled, you have a choice always. Now, you, the the answer of which may ultimately mean your demise if you ultimately say no, which is you're supposed to, uh, and then showing up the other is the criminal, the one that does use the violence. Uh, make a slight distinction. Force can be used in defense, but no, violence is never authorized. Uh, but uh, force and defense, in, in a conjunctive manner, means that they are being attacked unjustly by violence, and that's a, a that's a trespass. It's just, that's not uh, not not under natural law. That's not not correct in any any mode. But to understand that this, the mining law designates a land described, a body, a border. The border is very important. This is why they want the the. Uh, I call them the International Horde of Trespassers, the ICUN.org, which all the all the agencies are members to. And so, how do you you have a dual citizenship, a dual status there? But the ICUN uses water to break down borders. Why do they need to break down borders? Well, let's take a cell a membrane. Uh, the cell membrane keeps the uh, inside world in and the outside world out, and, uh, and the systems are there's a permeability that you allow, uh, either by natural system or by, by, by um, let's say, an orifice of some kind to, uh, to choose to have it open. Uh, these are uh, uh, sitting there that when you break down the permeable, you break down the, the, the cell wall, you lose the jurisdiction. You lose the authority within the, the cell. And the reason why borders become important, because that is what establishes the property. It's why the monuments are set up immediately to describe. You're essentially putting this abstraction called the border around a public land and saying, no, this has got a valuable mineral deposit, and by the power of that uh, that uh, government, says I can exclusively possess this, and this is to, to show the whole world that this is where this border, this cell is, and you cannot trespass it. Uh, neither can the grantor come against its, the claim on its land. Now, that doesn't mean a, a miner can go and trespass anybody else's land adjacent, but within the context of the mining law, you see a border. Consider that your skin. And within that you're con is conveyed authority and jurisdiction. Consider now if you go to that. I'm not going to get to, too lost in this because I'm not. I have not studied it and be versed in it so as much as I may have been before, if at all. Uh, where you understand where dominion was given to man. Well, put that in. Put the life in the man and, and the border that's created by the skin. All this stuff identifies a jurisdiction, and 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 the government's only one fifth of what uh, all the elements of sovereignty really is. That's why I have trouble using the word sovereignty. Uh, first of all, uh, we didn't get sovereignty, uh, and the government certainly didn't. It got one-fifth, at least, uh, as I can identify, probably one-seventh of what actual the elements of sovereignty are, and, and we, were, uh, we weren't given sovereignty to, con to recreate the world, so, or the universe. So we don't have that kind of sovereignty. So I, I don't, I'm not that high and haughty about all the sovereignty there is. I, I just know if I look and, and reduce it down to the practicability of this thing, we have grantors, grantees, trust trustees, we have a law that's supposed to sit there and protect it, and in the context and trying to explain uh, a different way to explain invasion, uh, I come to this idea that, well, the grantor, if that's the United States, is not supposed to invade the land it granted. That's a violation. So, and I can, and if law, and this is the problem, you said, is it, it may, the mining and the minerals may be under attack. Well, they are. They've been under attack for about 30 or 40 years, and the miners didn't even understand that. They've actually been under attack since, since the conservation brought, was brought in, uh, since the 1900s, uh, when the, when the Forest Service was created underneath that policy, but it, more specifically to 1955, that's been a big threat. It's been 
1955 Act, Service and Resource Act, had been completely misinterpreted by the courts. And then we had the uh, 64 Wilderness. You have to understand all these things are sitting there working this whole time underneath the under the skin of the government. And this pops up in 64 for the Wilderness Act. You see the uh, conservationists. Now they're preservationists uh, that are coming on. The courts now have uh, given over themselves to that view and have abandoned the law. And so we are on the we are on the precipice right here. What I call the stinking abyss. If we don't, if people don't pull together and start forcing the courts back to the law by using these very fundamental arguments, uh, what we know is America may have actually be gone. I'm not yet going to give up. I'm not yet believing that we are a conquest of people, although James Montgomery, if you look on the Internet, he's, uh, he's argued that it is, and he has a very good argument. I say we're merely occupied. I say that particularly uh, underneath the Lieber Code. Uh, we can go on and on. I can talk a ton of this stuff. We can, like I said, it's not over here just because we end two hours. The bottom line is here we have some fundamental property rights, some fundamental uh, jurisdictional issues. The courts do not have the authority to change these patent evidences and change the authority and jurisdiction that's been granted. In charity, they have to. You mentioned it just a second ago. People have to come together. How they come together and the way and the completeness of how they come together will be the determining out, uh, the factor that determines the outcome for them and for their posterity, because all is not lost. Uh, yeah, I, I'm familiar with James's work. Uh, uh, he misses certain elements, which is what I'm putting in the book, Pilgrims and Strangers, uh, that there was always been an element that has taken on their responsibility, has operated according to the way. And it's not in, the, unfortunately, it's not in the churches. As a matter of fact, what we call today the church is actually the Church of Constantine and the daughters of the Church of Constantine that is leading everybody back into bondage and away from those ways that lead us back into liberty under God. But they, to find that liberty under God requires that we live in a virtuous, just, right, and fair way with each other, not based on contracts uh, where we bind each other, but based on relationships. And again, that takes us back to why we have these festivals, why Israel had these festivals, is to renew those relationships. And I want to encourage as many people as possible. I'd like to encourage Hal to come out and uh, talk to us during the festival this year. Last week is September, first week of October. And uh, if there's a way he can get out to this one, and we'll see what he has to say out here around the campfire. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we've only got about uh, less than 15 minutes left of this show. Um what else did you want, or did we get a lot of it covered? Uh, it kind of sounded like we were coming to. I know that this could go on and on, but unfortunately we don't have another two hours. <laughs> uh, but uh, did you want to hit on a few other subjects or topics and even come up in my little sidetrack there? <laughs> Well, just that you've invited me there a long time back, and I just—it's just never been an ability to to make it out your way, even though I've really wanted, uh, intended to. But uh, we'll we'll see. Wait, I'll try I, and look at look I at think this again. You're in the Jefferson area, um, Jefferson County area. 
No, 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 no. That's the Jefferson Mining District, and the district is as big as three states. We've made a big oh, giant okay. district because of what we're doing, and under coordination, we're addressing. See, the miners, have, again, the miners are under attack. I've done a lot of research on mining districts, and I decided we could start another one. Gave, found out the reasons why. I researched the reasons why mining districts went into disuse, and then found a current use that couldn't be destroyed by the government and couldn't be conditioned by the government, and then reasserted that, and we started a monstrous mining district. Anybody in uh, in Oregon, California, or Nevada, northwest Nevada, or any area that uh, that is affected by travel management plans or plans of the federal government, they got to contact Jefferson Mining District. We can put them on a coordination. Uh, they can make them a coordination officer, and they can take the bull by the horns right where they are, and this is exactly what you're saying. We have to step back into this one. I think I'm bringing a, a little bit of a, a new insight as to how we might be able to address some of these. I'm, I'd have to give all the caveat here. At the point that the courts no longer uphold the law, all of this is lost anyway. And so this now, and now we're back into another decision. But without, without going there, I don't like to go to the negative part of that. Yes, we think about it, but it's not where I want to live. In fact, doing the mining district and doing, addressing the, uh, this law was, uh, the miners had had it with the agencies. It was going to come to lead, lead never hit the paper. It was going to come out of the barrel of a gun. And we said, no, no, you can't go there. We got to do this better. We got to do this different. This is a new way we have to go. We have to bring this by the means that have been uh, allowed to us, allowed to us, literally, not just not that we made them. And we have to proceed in peace because, again, nothing's new under the sun. We've seen all this before. We know where this trail goes. We have to pull back, as you say, the honor the creator and honor your and honor and, and, and care for your neighbors as you would care for yourself you know that's uh, i mean that that's the out of everything i understood about the bible which i couldn't understand some things and it made a lot of nonsense to me i understood that much and i'm trying to care enough for the people around me to uh, say listen folks we can do this together we care we have to care about our, uh, ourselves enough i'm uh, not completely versed on some of it but we have to even come up with a Complementary currencies, I think, are going to be important. Isolating ourselves from the national question and impositions, not taking on any international impositions, by not allowing our local jurisdictions to take them on, by walking down to our local counties and saying, "No, we don't. We want you to make an ordinance that doesn't allow you to bring an Agenda 21." This is ideas sweeping the country. Uh, Complementary currencies not tied to Agenda 21. They're all all the ones I'm noticing now are tied to social justice. It's how ignorant we are as a People. You need to just start them up because they're independent of the national system, and they create a local caring because you, you have to deal with them local and you have to deal with people locally. So you're, you were right also. Got to get off the Internet. I say you can only do so much behind the keys. At some point, you've got to get out on the world, and you have to go address the world, and, and that's with your neighbors all working toward making tomorrow a better place. And as I've been saying, again, I do my broadcast, oraclebroadcasting.com. I go through most of the news. Sometimes I talk about mining law if it's important. I do that at uh, noon o'clock Pacific time on Oracle Broadcasting. I go behind the woodshed, and we talk about these kinds of things. We talk about trying to get people. I try to empower people to get back into our local governments and get force out the federal internet, federal and international impositions. You can't do that sitting behind a keyboard. You're absolutely right. Right. Uh, so are you still in Oregon, or do you think yes. Okay. Uh, actually, I'm behind the woodshed. <laughs> yeah, Okay. <laughs> I'm not asking you to give out your address or anything, but uh, yeah, just no, and geographically, I do get around in Oregon from time to time, and yeah. uh, and we will have people. We've had people convoying here, 
you know, to get here and people sharing rides and working with other people to get here. And so uh, as we get closer, we have what we call the Living Network. And uh, it's on the Internet in the sense that you go to org and you join the network in your area based on geography. And we have guys who volunteer to be what we call personal contact ministers, and you pick that guy. Then most of the information, most of the activity that goes on on that network goes on between real people. It's not people keep joining it and think that they're going to get uh, more emails. And, uh, you know, it's specifically restricted from sending just emails and forwarding, oh, this bad thing and that bad thing. <laughs> it's right. the idea is to actually physically connect people in coffee shops and living rooms in, in local areas. Uh, and we've done that where people have known, been on this track for years and found out for the first time that the guy on the next block is on the same track, but he never knew it. Uh, the Living Network doesn't tell everybody where everybody is. You have to pick a contact minister, develop some trust, share information with him, and then he guards that information personally. So it's it's kind of uh, your, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it is exactly that. It's a living Internet network, and it, you've got people that are using shortwave and people that are using other means of communication to keep people in contact, but it's not limited to Oregon or the United States or anywhere except on this planet. As far as I know, we don't have any members off the planet yet, but maybe we will eventually. But uh, the uh, the fact is, is that's what we're kind of about, and we encourage everybody to join the Living Network by uh, going to org drop-down menu where the guy's filling out the net and joining the network and start developing real physical relationships with people on the ground. Look into their eyes, sit and break bread with them, get to know them, and then do something. Uh, we have people who are in the bullion business uh, and know how to turn uh, mind assets into bullion. There's a money uh, source for you. Not coin, because we're not the the royal uh, coinage, but we can turn it into bullion or, or religious artifacts and use that as a trade good. Uh, there's lots of things that we can do. Uh, we're into uh, community-supported agriculture. We're into growing our, and producing our own seeds. Uh, we're into home health. Uh, and uh, the... What we are doing is accumulating lots of experts like Hal, uh, who's expert in his area of interest now. He's been evidently since before he was born, he was moving in the direction of understanding mining law. <laughs> uh, before I was born, my father went to Creighton University and became an, uh, an attorney and an international attorney. <laughs> And uh, that's what I talked about at the dinner table <laughs> growing up as a small boy. So God was training us all along to become the experts that we are, but we need to start bringing those experts together and sharing that information because there's a precept upon precept that are found, whether you're growing seeds or whether you're dealing with mining issues or whether you're dealing with alchemy or or engineering or whatever, 
that is a whole uh, uh, bank of knowledge. The treasure of the kingdom, that's something I point out all the time, uh, is the treasures of the kingdom, that's you. You're the treasures. Each of us are the treasures. And each of us will bring a little bit of the expertise that we have that God has brought to us. And we bring it together to share, not commercially, but in faith. Thanks for coming on, Hal. Uh, we'll have to have you again some other time. Maybe I can come on your show sometime and raise some ruckus. Uh, thanks, Paul, for being there. Uh, you've been looking to choose the kingdom. God bless. Till next week. Thanks, everybody. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.